salt. They're like huge seed pods. Pod, where two friends discuss pop culture and more. Here are your hosts, Matt Haynes and Jay Norman. Okay, so we're we're maybe a little bit late to this. I think we got a little wrapped up in in Star Trek, um, rightfully so, the last couple couple of weeks. But I think we definitely want to spend a little bit of time today talking about. Uh, uh, Stranger Things. We're big fans of Stranger Things uh, from the get-go, as is pretty much everybody in the world. Uh, <laughs> so, and yeah, it was it was a long time coming. It felt like a long time coming for season four. We had a pretty sizable layoff from season three to season four. Am I looking at this right? Is this almost three years? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Apparently, we're going to have another two years for uh, season five. 2024 is the rumored date, but that's not confirmed either. At some point, they're going to have to be dedicating some of that budget toward uh, de-aging. <laughs> if they're, unless, unless we are in for a significant time jump, which I think you pointed out when we were talking about this offline was all indications point to no. Right. Yeah. Where in fact, we're not that they plan on kind of picking up roughly where they where they left off right yeah and there's an interview with the duffer brothers on the app the netflix after show where they say as much that season five's basically going to have to pick up directly where it left off in season four before we go any further we should just again spoiler alert that we will be spoiling this this season if you haven't watched go and watch it but yeah Given how the end of season four ends, it feels like, yeah, they kind of have to like, they can't go away for a couple of years and, you know, and write that into the narrative and make it, have it easily make sense. Um, Even this, I mean, this season was a stretch at times trying to suspend your disbelief, looking at some of these kids who supposedly we're only like six months out of when we saw them at the end of season three. <laughs> Some of them have sprouted quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. It's, I did a little rewatch because my daughter is rewatching uh, season two and three at the moment. And looking back at those seasons, it's pretty jarring the change, but Hey, it's a TV show, right? We've got to suspend disbelief. Yeah. Yeah, let's. Yeah, we're we're not gonna. There won't be that much hand wringing over this. It's you know, they they've got one more season in them, right? This it'll be a fifth and final, and you know, it definitely feels like there's a lot of momentum toward an ultimate resolution. So just get on with it, and yeah, we'll just deal with it. So that aside, let's um let's get into season four. So. We start things off where you've basically got the kids kind of split. A group are out in California somewhere, and then the others are still in Hawkins. And that's without um, considering, you know, Hopper's out there in a 
Russian gulag. So we got a dispersed cast. And I'll tell you, the first challenge for me coming into the season was just remembering where where everything left off. The uh, 45 second you know recap of the uh, <laughs> previous season did not do much to like jog my memory. What they're split into three different groups. Am I correct on that? So we have the the kind of the Russian storyline, the California storyline, and then the Hawkins storyline. Is that is that correct? Nice tropes from uh, we have our Russian, you know, eighties Russian movie. Uh-huh. We have our California teen high school drama, and then we have our horror film with the Hawkins crew. Mm-hmm. So we get kind of three different eighties genres which i found the russian component at first i probably didn't find it as compelling but as it went on it became more compelling and so by the end the two most compelling stories were obviously the hawkins and the the russian with the california contingent coming in last you know with the, the typical kind of search you we gotta go get the thing and then go get that thing and and then search for this thing yeah that was a uh... For me, probably the most tiresome element of the season as well. And I thought the weakest link was most of what was going on with California crew, mm-hmm. um, especially, you know, I, I'll say, I should clarify, once we take 11 out of the picture. Right. Yeah. So, you know, when we, we first see them, you know, it seems, you know, it seems like, you know, oh, Eleven's doing great. You know, she's excited about school and project. And, but then when we, we get there, we find out it's not exactly true. Yeah. And as you say, this is like classic 80s teen drama that is dialed up to 11, no pun intended, yeah. <laughs> you know, with poor 11 as the, uh, you know, the target of, some pretty, pretty terrible bullying and, um, yeah. And dealing with, you know, the loss of her powers, obviously. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought, I mean, I thought I was, you know, I was engaged there. Millie Bobby Brown, uh, as L is doing, you know, great work as always. Um, She's a really talented actor, and uh, I really, I was really buying the struggles that she was going through and the, having to deal with the loss of Hopper and the loss of her powers and being in this like foreign world, really. But we don't we don't linger there too long before she's kind of you know whisked away by uh, Paul Reiser, yeah. And um, and what we're left with in California is not nearly as compelling oh we should also say that that's we also you know before that we lose Winona Ryder you know Mm -hmm. off to you know pursue right her individual quest to go get hop and so yeah we're left with the California crew and what we're left with there is yeah not super compelling the the quest that they were on felt a little contrived you know they had to go they're searching for 11 right what are they else they're doing something else anyway uh, they have to go, oh, they got to make their way out to see Dustin's girlfriend, uh, <laughs> Jonathan, the character of Jonathan, who is kind of like, isn't really given much of anything to do in this, yeah, they, yeah. In this season. And it's it, clear they didn't know what to do with him. It shows, you know, <laughs> you know, they try kind of a half-hearted effort to like show him kind of 
I don't know, floundering in his like. Yeah, I don't want to go to to the college storyline, which was uh, why I don't yeah. understand the motivation. Yeah, there was a sliver of compelling storytelling when when we're we're seeing Will, you know, struggle with his identity, you know, and this is obviously new for the season where he's clearly, you know, they're clearly showing us that he's yeah. in love with, with yeah. Mike and processing how to deal with that. But again, it felt maybe, I don't know, somewhat half-hearted, you know, dealing with that. But again, it wasn't, it wasn't a primary focus of the season anyway, but it did. I did at least appreciate like, okay, we're, we're adding some texture to this character, uh, especially a character that is missing in large chunks of the earlier seasons, right. Where he's, mm-hmm. you know, he's just gone. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I also think, not related to that, but just related to the Russian storyline, the addition of uh, Brett Gelman Murray was a good one. You know, he gets more, he's been getting more and more as the seasons, right? Season two and three progressed. He got more story mm-hmm. time and more more screen time. But obviously season four, it gets ramped up even more, which I like his character, nice comic relief character. Something else that I wanted to ask you about, which I actually liked, but I know some people including our wives, right? <laughs> didn't didn't like so much was the kind of shift to horror mm-hmm. in, in this uh, season, which I've actually found compelling. And the, I don't know if you call it blatant ripoff, but <laughs> <laughs> the homage to uh, Nightmare on Elm Street in particular. Right. I, I will grant you, yes, there's much more body horror in this season with the, uh, cracking of bones and the sunken eyes and you know yeah. that, that kind of stuff so i i can understand why people who don't enjoy the horror genre would find it not to their taste how do you feel about that horror element uh i you know i enjoyed it and i felt like it was the identity that they were the duffer brothers were most going for with this season and it was fitting you know because you think of like you know, this, this time frame, early to mid eighties, where, you know, this was, this was the glory days for the horror genre. And I thought it, it, it worked really well. I thought that once I got and got my bearings when, after the first episode was moving along, and then we, you know, by the time we get to that point at the end of the first episode and Chrissy is our first victim in, in, uh, Eddie's trailer and it's a pretty, you know, it's a pretty dramatic, yeah, you yeah. know, ending for her, yes. you know, with that body horror. And I thought, I thought it was effective. I thought it was, it was good to like, and good at like setting the tone of like, okay, here's where we're going from here. And it's going to be, you know, this is what we're leaning into kind of the, the mystery of trying to figure out, how, you know, who's behind this. And that was, I thought that was pretty compelling and you know working under the backdrop of that classic 80s horror film genre Mm -hmm. felt right um and it felt like there were the kind of stakes that you expect from stranger things with characters like this and adolescents you know Mm -hmm. still you know teenagers are supposed to be (laughs) teenagers not teenagers for some of these actors anymore (laughs) but (laughs) but that's how that's how it always is right i mean you have 
30 year olds playing right 17 year olds all the time in hollywood so it's nothing it's not new, a stretch right? nothing new yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's right yeah i it's funny because speaking of my my daughter who's rewatching this she really went back and rewatched those two seasons because of the strength for her of season four she's she likes horror movies and so this season was really her jam and it spurred her on. She'd never seen Nightmare on Elm Street. And I said, well, let's watch it. I'll watch it with you. So we went back and watched that. Uh, um, and it's funny to see a young young person's take on that <laughs> classic eight, 80s horror film. And I haven't seen it in a long, long time. And it's like, yeah, it's not as scary as I remember. <laughs> I remember yeah. as when I was a kid watching that, that movie gave me nightmares, right? Yeah. I was a, I was a young kid when I first saw the very first, I saw it too young. I was much, much too young to see that film. I saw it because my older sister was watching it with her friends. And I'm probably like, I don't know, I'm guessing in that 10 year old range, maybe when that movie came out, <laughs> like a 10 year old probably shouldn't be watching that movie. <laughs> yeah. But, but I did. Right. So just to say, going back and looking at that and trying to see some connections Certainly the endings with the disappearance of Vecna at the end and the disappearance of Freddy at the end of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. And then the recognition that it's not done. You know, things aren't done. Mm-hmm. Although if I remember correctly with Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, the director of Nightmare on Elm Street, Wes Craven, he wanted to end the film with her turning it back to Freddy, you know, taking away his power by basically recognizing that this is a dream and taking the belief that it's not a dream as the way to kind of kill him. Mm-hmm. He wanted to end it there, but the studio wanted room for sequels. So he had to tag on the last part where the kids kind of come back in the car and the mom's standing at the doorway and the, you know, Freddie reaches out, whatever grabs her, pulls her through the, the window and the car windows roll up and, you know, they get the kids yeah. get taken away or whatever. So all that to say that kind of the disappearance part is very much in line there. With obviously at the end of the Stranger Things, Vecna seemingly being de- destroyed, thrown out the window, and then they go mm-hmm. down and he's disappeared. I mean, I'm not trying to draw too much of a connection there. There isn't, but but it was interesting to try to to see those resonances or try to find those resonances because it's clear Vecna is very much, you know, all the dream elements are there, mm-hmm. you know, reality versus dream, and yeah, I mean, I think you know throughout the season you definitely. They're, they're sampling a lot of different elements from 80s horror and, um, like we said, some of the teen, teen dramas too. Um, but yeah. yeah, that's what I thought thought of as well, you know, from the get-go was like, this is like really heavily Nightmare on Elm Street influenced. And hey, that fits. I mean, most people, you know, you ask them, you know, name an 80s horror movie, they're probably going to tell you it's, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street. Right. Um, there's a few others that are, you know, yeah. in that range. But I, th- I think Freddy Krueger, like, rises at the top. And they, I mean, I think some of the more effective sequences have been when they've, you know, been reminiscent of Nightmare on Elm Street. I thought that, I thought that this season really hit, began to hit its stride in episode four, I think where a big portion of it is um, focused on Max and her like struggle, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, as she's like marked as like the next victim. And, you know, that's where we, we get, you know, the entrance of 
the Kate Bush song that right. everybody's yeah. playing right now. And, right. Um, but yeah, I thought that, you know, I thought that that episode really is where it really connected for me. I, first of all, I thought she did a great, a really great job throughout. I thought it was compelling. I thought it was really moving. You know, I felt on the edge of my seat, you know, kind of like wanting her to like survive this. And um, yeah, and there's a lot of parallels to like, you know, her struggle and how they combated, you know, Vecna, you know, how they figured out, you know, a strategy there in episode four that, you know, is, you know, elements that are taken from Nightmare on Elm Street. The body horror elements are similar too with the people in the quote unquote real world seeing one thing of the person kind of in a trance and Nightmare on Elm Street, probably the most bloody portion of that film is (laughs) the obvious trope of having sex in a horror film in the eighties means death soon after. You're right. uh, The boyfriend and the girlfriend, right? Is it Nancy? And is that her name? The blonde character in Nightmare on Elm Street who has the first has the dreams, but they have sex that night. They, she has the dream where Freddie comes and, you know, kills her and she's, bloodied thrown up against the wall up on the ceiling and the boyfriend's mm-hmm. just watching this crazy scene and those similar things obviously happen in stranger things where you just get to see the the horror the the, the blood the, the body horror the breaking bones and all that stuff but you don't know kind of what's really going on behind the scenes and so there's that element too of, of similarity yeah but i agree the strongest strongest portion of this season is that max storyline yeah let's talk about the acting. <laughs> so I think we're in agreement. Some some of the child actors who, who, well, they were child actors when they started. Right. You know, they're not really children anymore. We've got varying degrees of, <laughs> you know, uh, skill set, you know, right. advancement. Yeah. Sadie Sink is Max. I think it's great. Really, I really thought when the, her introduction into, you know, the cast felt really, you know, needed and felt right, you know, when she, when she dropped in in season three, right? She was in season two, I believe. Was she? Okay. Yeah. Because Billy is kind of positioned as just a bully in season two. And then season three, the mind flare takes possession of him. Okay. So yeah. And she's, She's done great work here in season four. I think she was one of the stronger, you know, performers throughout. You know, Millie Bobby Brown goes without saying. She's a talented actor. She's really killing it as Eleven. Winona and David Harbour, you know, they're wonderful kind of as the adult focus. And uh, Joe Curie and Maya Hawk, also not, not part of the kid cast, you know, but as far as talking about added cast members, Maya Hawk is also a good good addition, I think, to the cast, to the main cast. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned we mentioned Jonathan's character, and I think Charlie Heaton, who plays Jonathan, is is a good actor, and he just didn't have a whole lot um, right. to work with this season. I gotta say, I'm a, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, le- I'm less impressed with Caleb um, McLaughlin as Lucas and and wolf uh sorry finn wolfhard um as mike yeah um i boy some of this some of their 
Well, let me come back to Lucas. Um, maybe just kind of awkward storylines for him, but I do, uh, I will grant him this. I thought that in the final episode, yeah, he did well. And I thought that it was really emotionally impactful and compelling, you know, his relationship with Max. And then we see Max go through at the end, which was horrific. But much of the season, I was just not feeling it. And boy, I don't want to pick on Finn Wolfhard too much, but man, it's just, <laughs> I was, was distracted. That felt um, a little rough around the edges for me. Um, on the other side, I actually thought that Dustin was pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> and he, yeah, I thought that he kind of shined and maybe uh, one of the kids is not taken as seriously, you know? Right. You know, he's often like looked at as like comic relief, right? But I thought it was pretty great. Yeah, with the Mike thing too, the character, I don't know if this was an acting choice or not because it doesn't it didn't really have to do with dialogue it had to do with a scene interaction but it could have been direction to for mike all the other characters kind of got him like dustin got his emotional connection with um eddie uh lucas got his emotional connection with max mike gets his emotional connection his best part was maybe some of that stuff he did with 11 where he's trying to where he's where will says you're the heart and he has to kind mm -hmm. of that little monologue that's the biggest kind of weight lifting he had to do i think in the season but just in general he's so oblivious to will i mean in they're in that car i saw somebody else pointed this out right his brother looks in the mirror and notices mike's right next to will while will's crying with his head turned and he notices nothing and yeah. i don't know if that was kind of a direction thing it could have been some and it happened multiple times where there, it was clear like mike's just like yeah my friend's clearly in distress, but that's uh, okay. Whereas in the rewatching that third season, Mike and Will's relationship seems much closer. And you see uh, Mike really reach out and protect Will, you know, physically grab him and, and pull him in and hug him at times when he's going through those, those moments where the mind flare is breaking him in or whatever's happening to him, where he goes into the upside down in the middle of, playing a video game right he's in the video game arcade or something or right you know there's just much more attention from him and there was none of that this season it's like mike is completely oblivious and i don't know if that was i imagine it would have to be probably intentional that they're saying mike's so interested in or so focused on 11 and getting 11 back that he doesn't know what's happening with will anymore yeah i i i think it i think you're right i think it's a directorial choice to kind of go out of their way to show how Mike is really detached himself from that friendship in a lot of ways and how he's, he's become, I don't know, maybe a little self-absorbed mm -hmm. um, as well as being focused on 11, but it, it still felt, it, it didn't feel like it was coming as naturally as I yeah. think, you know, maybe, a, maybe a more talented young actor could, could get that, you know, we, you yeah. know, but I would have at least like, if that was the intention, I would have liked at least, I would have at least liked to have seen a little bit more payoff with maybe showing that Mike is, yeah, he's still obsessed with 11, but maybe he's also kind of a dick now, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that would be fine, you know, because, you know, kids change, 
get older, where they go through phases and maybe he ends up just being kind of a jerk for a while yeah. and that's okay. But yeah, it didn't, yeah, I didn't think we got enough payoff for if that was, if that was what they were going after was to like, just show how like oblivious he is to yeah. anything else, you know, other than himself and 11. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it didn't make sense. What rewatching season three to now there's, there's no explanation for why Will is, is so oblivious to Will when he was so close, you know, in season three is yeah. so in tune with Will. I mean, there's the separation of Will living in California They're you know, they're no longer physically close to each other. So yeah, but that's kind of work that we do as the audience watching it. Um, the writing didn't do it for us. Yeah. And, you know, and maybe, you know, part of this is just maybe a product of, this is a big cast. There's a yeah. lot. Yeah. I saw the movie. Um, did you see that Millie Bobby Brown comment? No. I just heard about it. They were, they did a big picture or something at a premiere or, or something of that nature. And she made some comment like, wow, right. This cast, this is so huge. We need Duffer brothers need to start killing people off here. <laughs> yeah, there's something to that maybe. Yeah. You know, frankly, I was surprised that we didn't see more characters yeah. die, especially as how much they were heavily hinting the dire nature of the the final two episodes as we had that, you know, that short break in between um, when the final two episodes of the season dropped. Yeah, I mean, in the end, we only get kind of a token sacrifice from Eddie. Sorry, Eddie. Pour one out for you, buddy. Yeah. Um, you were good. I, I actually really enjoyed Eddie um, mm -hmm. as a uh, addition this uh, this season, and he went out strong. And I thought that was that worked well. But yeah, I, I is it is it weird to say I was a little disappointed we didn't see more characters die? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, Max is on like death's door. Um, yeah, but I fully expect her to be. You know, not recovered next season, but you know that being part of the part of what's happening in the final season is mm -hmm. like getting Max whole again. You know, otherwise you just you you do something shocking and you do kill her at the end. It yeah. Couldn't save her, but at the very least, um, given that it's you know it's still a really big cast, at least they're all back in the same place. <laughs> yes, uh, geographically, we won't have to be jumping around. To these different places in that same interview for netflix duffer brothers mentioned that as well that season five is going to see a return to form from season one where the cast is all in the same place and not, which should be good so you want to finish you want to end on like any uh any theories for next the final season any guesses as to where we're going from here how they're gonna yeah. wrap this thing up i think a big clue is given in the hospital scene with Max where Lucas is reading the talisman mm. to Max. Although we know that the Duffer brothers are going to adapt the talisman into a series for Netflix. And so I'm not sure how much of a clue it's going to be because they're making this separate franchise here and it might just be a nod to the fact, but it's kind of hard not to see the resonances with that book of, you know, different realities, different people also being able to be alive in one reality and not in the other. And so it makes me think of even somebody like Eddie might be able to come back somehow and um, Max certainly. But one of those theories I think that I'm wondering about is the Vecna theory of 
his victims actually still somehow existing in his mind. Brenner mentions when Vecna kills, he doesn't just kill, he consumes, consumes everything about them. Vecna even says to in one of those flashbacks that Eleven has when she's trying to get her powers back, he mentions to her that they're not really gone the kids that he killed in in the lab they're here pointing to his head they're still here with me i think that's a clue as to how max is going to come back that it's going to be that search for for her do you have any kind of big theories grand theories about what might happen i wonder too if 11's going to have to die that's kind of my big thing yeah as well that's that's where i was going to i'm i'm curious about that if she's going to have to be a sacrifice but i think you're right i think that you know that there was it was those are some pretty big hints about you know kind of the nature of like the you know how these kids were lost you know how these different victims of vecna were lost and are we going to see some kind of mass resurrection uh, you know at the end of the end of the series where you know a lot of these kids are like come back i don't know yeah there's be... the t- there's a time travel element too hmm. with because the upside down is stuck in 1983 is it 83 84 somewhere in there oh right yeah that's that's true i almost forgot about that little detail and that was very clearly called out mm-hmm. um not just as like a you know a plot device in that particular episode where nancy's like looking for the gun that she thinks that is at her house, right? Was that they were yeah. looking for like weapons mm-hmm. and realizing that it's years earlier, right? In the upside down. So that's got to figure in heavily, especially once we've got, you know, now that we've got kind of a mashup of like the real world and the upside down world. But anyway, back to 11. Yeah, I think that's seems like a very real possibility. Though, man, I think they, they, they really, they dug into the uh, backstory of Hopper this last season too, with the loss of his child and to do that to him again, (laughs) feels like maybe too cruel for stranger things. Maybe it's, you know, maybe we're going to see something along the lines of where she's willing to sacrifice herself, but ultimately she survives, but she's, you know, she's, she's the center of the show. Um, she's going to figure in to the resolution one way or the other. But yeah, we've got, boy, we got a long way to go before we get there. <laughs> um, unfortunately, probably close to two years. So it's going to be a while. So plenty of time to rewatch previous yeah. seasons and get ready. I'm just thinking to bring back that time travel element. At the beginning of the season 11, when she's writing the letter, is it to Mike? She says, basically, we're all time travelers. She she even mentions that at the beginning of that. And I'm thinking back to the, the play with Back to the Future is also there. Like Will's outfit resembles Marty McFly's outfit. Yeah. They go this season. Is it this season? They go watch Back to the Future? <laughs> or is it? I can't remember. At some point, I think they go to watch Back to the Future at the movie theater or something, or maybe it's Steve, or maybe I'm misremembering that, but I, I think that's that happens. So I don't know, just more things to theorize about, right? Have fun with as we wait three more years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> come up. 
maybe by that time, old Wolfheart will have Christopher Lloyd, white hair, great Scott. (laughs) Maybe that's how they can get around it, right? Hey, the upside down, man, it ages you. It does things to you. (laughs) Yeah, that is no joke. Yeah. Yeah. And what's the, uh, yeah, what's the going to be the major influence, you know, what's going to be the major pop culture influences for this final season? You know, we've got, we've done horror you know, the 80s horror. And is it going to be like Back to the Future? Is it going to be something else? Um, I don't know. We're off to scour the films of the late 80s and uh, see if we can place it. It's going to take a, a big turn. It's going to be like Space Camp. <laughs> Space Camp. What a classic. Yeah. So, so next pod, we will, I think we're going to shift gears away from the genre and uh, talk about a show that we're both really enjoying uh, right now and excited to talk about. And that's The Old Man on FX and Hulu.